And a good Thursday morning to you, and welcome into Darren Donick, the Chase, here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Darren McFarlane, that's me. Willie D, me gone. Me gone. Back to Denver. Colorado. Avalanche. Predators tonight. 8 o'clock puck drop. Out on the Mile High City. One of my favorite cities. Had some yes. fun out there. Yes. We had so much fun out there, I decided to go back out there this summer and explore you a did. little bit more. You didn't drink as many milkshakes, though. No, I had one. Yeah. I had one. That was good. Because did go you didn't have to... Pete Weber there to keep buying them for you, which he does. He Right. That I would have had one that night, but Pete Weber just kept <laughs> sending over milkshakes. A classic. You can't say no. You can't turn down the great Pete Weber. No. You have to just... Say, okay, thank you, Pete, for the third one. Okay, Pete, thank you for the fourth one and for the fifth one. And as we found out, I think it was technically six. Yeah. Because, you know, you always get the the overflow with the shakes, right? Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. They give you the extra on the side. It was something. It was a fun trip, though. Uh, So tonight it will be game two of this long four-game road trip. Tonight, Predators and Avalanche, they'll be in Northern California on Saturday night. So some really, really late-night hockey on Saturday. Chase McCabe's alongside Max Hers behind the glass. Marquise just wasn't just doesn't want to leave yet, so he's going to stick around. He's chilling. Yeah, yeah, he's can't get enough. Can't get enough. Last night, Max, you were not at Memorial Gym, but Vanderbilt did kick off their basketball season last night. They or come they away with a win. They tipped it off. Well, they tipped it off. They yeah. didn't kick it. Like right. You would get called. That would be a... Yeah, it's a... It's penalty. Yeah, it's foul. called kicking. Yeah, turnover. It's called a turnover. Is what mm. that is. So they did tip off last night at Memorial Gym, and hey, the twenty game losing streak is over. <laughs> it is over, folks. That it is too soon. I don't think so. That it is. The Jerry Stackhouse era has begun for the Commodores. So he starts off his career with a win. Eighty-three sixty-five over Southeast Missouri State. So, basketball season is underway here in Nashville. Yeah, that's good news for Vanderbilt uh, because there wasn't great news. Yeah, for Belmont. And I think TSU actually played yesterday too. So, I didn't see. I didn't see what they did. Yeah, I I saw where Belmont went to Illinois State and lost. Things got away from them in the second half. Yep, and then. Uh, TSU actually played Tuesday and they won 106 to 66. Good. So good for them. Did you guys hear what Jerry Stackhouse said after his first collegiate win? Yeah, I, he, I did. I did hear Can I his, play it for you guys. Sure. Let's play it for let everybody hear it. 878 more. And then our Ty coach Smith. So yeah. Pretty great. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Talking about his college coach, Dean Smith, of course. Yeah. Of course, Carolina. His alma mater won last night, too. So um, I told you about Cole Anthony. You did. I told you about Cole Anthony all day yesterday. He went off. Um, and, and Tim Hasselbeck told us that Notre Dame was in the ACC. He did. So that was a conference win for North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. We've yeah. learned a lot this week. Well, it's but Notre Dame is also going to Duke this week and that's not a conference mm. game that's 
Yeah. Tricky, tricky. <laughs> that was the fun we had right. yesterday with Tim Hasselbeck. But Cole, Cole Anthony. North Carolina and Notre Dame was a conference game yesterday, last night. Notre Dame and Duke this Saturday is not a Yeah, it's so game. weird because football will play like five ACC games, but they don't count for – I mean, they're just games. That's what they are. But to your point, Cole Anthony, you were right. Greg Anthony's son, he goes off last night, 34 points. 11, 11 rebounds, rebounds, like five assists. Yep. I mean, he was ridiculous. So he's pretty good is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I told you yesterday, yeah. like you might want to watch this kid. He's yeah. insanely good. Carolina, the ninth-ranked team in the country right now. We'll For see now. what happens. Yeah, the uh, in Virginia, they win last night, too. Ohio State beat Cincinnati. So, college basketball, man. It's I was perusing. I, I was at Smashville Live, but I was keeping up with things. Yeah, it was good to see Vanderbilt pull away in the second yeah. half because it was tied at half because Southeast Missouri State went on a run late and tied it up, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is – if they drop this one, oh boy. The last eight minutes of the first half were bad. Ugly, ugly basketball bad. on both sides. But Simo ended up putting that run together. But Vandy found their group of five midway through the second. Didn't look back, pulled away, and covered the 14-point spread. Oh, well, I'm sure that made some people in your, your party very happy, I guess. I'm assuming they took Vandy. Yeah. Yeah, They they. I know somebody that had a good night. Yeah. So... I bet. He he tweeted about it. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure he, he always does. does. Saban Lee, a little interesting. 21 points last night. That's not what's interesting. 21 points off the bench. Did not start. Was a little surprised by that. But the, you, you were kind of explaining, Max, the strategy behind that. Yeah, so Jerry Stackhouse has said he said it Tuesday afternoon, and then he said it again after the win last night in the press conference, and basically politely said, I would rather not explain this again, that they don't want to start both point guards, freshman Scottie Pippen Jr. and junior Saban Lee, because they don't want both of them to potentially get in foul trouble right off the bat, but he knows that Lee is one of his two best scorers along with Aaron Neesmith. They just want to be able to bring him on, and they said that, or Coach Stackhouse said that there are players that are starters and there are players that are starting. And he says right now Saban Lee is a starter and will be on the court for the end of every game, but is not in the starting lineup. Didn't he also politely ask not to be asking questions about last year's team? Yeah. yeah. Fair or unfair? Fair. I, the, the way he has said all of this, I am totally with him. He, he was extremely candid in the press conference, and I, I like the way he goes about his business in terms of Q and A. So you think it's fair not to ask anything about last year? Like, you think that's fair? I mean, I, I'm just asking. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't really know because you're right. It's, but what coach have you heard? I mean, the, all coaches do that. I mean, you, you bring that up to Mike Vrabel of three years ago. Marcus Mariota did this. Well, I wasn't here, so I, oh, I can't believe speak me. on that. James Franklin was the. Believe me, I know. The minute you asked anything about the history, anything pre-James Franklin at Vanderbilt, it didn't he wanted exist. no part. It's like it. he wanted to pretend it did not exist. And I guess for him or for Jerry Stackhouse, that's fine. But it's like, okay, but what about the people who have seen it for their whole life or whatever? So you want them to 
to li- I, I'm torn. I, I don't know the answer. I'm just asking you guys because, you know, it's just like it's no different than the Titan stuff. I mean, you know, we have people move in here within the last five years, in the last five days, five months. Even Teron Davenport, and for, I can imagine, probably early on, he's like, golly, you guys are – and it's like now he's been here a year and a half. He's like, oh, I oh I get it, right? Because it's like, well, yeah, the, like, I get it. You just got here, but it's a, I I have covered them since day one, so I I'm allowed to talk about Jake Locker and Vince Young. Yeah, those flops didn't happen on these people's watch, but we had to cover that. Right. We had to watch it. We know what it looks like. So I'm a little torn on. Yeah, Jerry Stackhouse wasn't the coach. I get it. That was pre him. But is it unfair to ask anything about, okay, so they did end a 20. I started off the show by saying they ended a 20-game yeah. losing streak. It wasn't on his watch. But how about the people that had to endure the 20-game losing streak? It still matters. I mean, it counts. Like, it happened. Just because you weren't here doesn't mean it didn't happen. And that that's the thing that always has bugged me about Vrabel and the Titans of they want to just forget about what would happen before they got here, which, okay, you have you can't control that. that you can't do anything about that. But – you were brought here to change what happened before you were here, just like Jerry Stackhouse was hired to change what was going wrong with Bryce Drew. So you still have to acknowledge that they lost 20 in a row. I mean, that's just that's kind of a part of it. You can't just go, nope, nope, we are the Vanderbilt has never won a game. I just We've got never played here, a game. So they are now one and oh. We their, their career their history, they're one and oh since I there been is here. no it's like okay, that's I bet fine. he'll acknowledge the three point streak. I bet he acknowledges that. Does he, Max? I don't know. No, oh, well, I mean they made many threes last night. Yeah, so. I mean that's I a, that's a, his, that's historic that you know they have that. And by the way, you don't get that. to you don't get to save any of those either. By the way, no, you can't you can't <laughs> hold those over in case you have a bad night. Right. Yeah. Just so I get both sides of it. Yeah, I do too. But I I don't know. I just. I don't really – I mean, I, I get it, but I don't get – like, you can't pretend like it didn't ha- – like I said, James Franklin was – you bring up anything before him. I was on my watch. I didn't have anything to do with that. Okay, James. I, I get it. No, no. Didn't, but it did happen. But to take a job, didn't you kind of look at what things were like before, before you decided, hey, I'm going to take that job and then I'm going to start this whole Vanderbilt and, you know – anchor down and all this stuff i mean you kind of had to know a starting point so i think it's okay for the media to ask you about it yeah you were at smashville live last night in cool springs i was brew house south the former captain mike fisher in the house how was it it was good it was a, a very good turnout it was good to see mike and um talk to him for a second Braden gall hosted did a fine job uh, ryan and i did preds insiders before that but um you can tell he's enjoying post hockey uh, he actually told us that because Ryan and I are on Preds Insiders, we're talking about the the Winter Classic, and Mike Fisher had just walked in and we're like, "Hey, maybe we can get Mike, you know, out of retirement for one game so he can play in the Winter Classic." And went up to him during a break and said, "Yeah, we're, we're trying to pull you out of retirement again." And he laughed and he said, "Well, I actually skated for the first time today since I retired." Wow. <laughs> so uh outside so that's of, a no <laughs> yeah outside of skating with his son but like he actually skated you know for real and i was like well how are you feeling he goes oh i'm gonna feel it i'm sure i'm gonna i'm gonna feel it tomorrow hey but, if he's got a cannon at his house he's probably got an ice rink yeah at his house yeah i mean he's they probably skated in the backyard probably but um it was good to see him and it was cool to see that 
even a couple of years after his retirement, he's still a big deal with this fan base, and, and, he, and he always will be. I mean, I, in my opinion, he's top five all-time Nashville Predators and did a lot for this organization to take them from making the playoffs to actually being a playoff winner and a contender. You have to credit Mike Fisher with, with some of that, a lot of that. And um, so it was cool. It was a very cool turnout and, and a good show. You can check it out on demand, GameNashville.com. No doubt he will go down as one of the most popular Predators of all time. Period. Yeah. Bottom line. There's no way around that. Uh, we will come back. We'll learn a little bit more about the opponent of the Titans. We head to Kansas City on the other side. Darren, Donnick, and Chase, ESPN, 102.5 The Game. There's no crying on this show. Back here on Darren, Donnie, and Chase on this rainy Thursday morning here in Nashville. Darren McFarland, Chase McCabe, Willie D is in Denver, Colorado. Predators and Avalanche. Tonight at 8 o'clock, I'll have pregame for you at 7. Everything heard right here on 102.5 The Game. A guy we've talked to over the years about the opponent of the Titans. Sunday over at Nissan Stadium. Seren Petro is on the line. He's the host of the program. Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, always great to be on in the town. I love to sit in traffic in when I'm on my way to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> Try living it every day, you know? We went from that cute little city that everybody loved. Now it's everybody's here and you can't move, so you get to look at the city all the time. That's a pretty city, though. I, I will give you that, man. It's a pretty town. Well, speaking of that, because we've certainly had our, our fun at all the people that love to uh, come visit our city, and certainly if there's a reason for a a sports fan, their favorite team is coming to Nashville. They're like, hey, let's go to Nashville. We've God, seen it before. We've seen week. teams. Yeah, I was going to say, we've seen teams take over Nissan Stadium with those big fan bases. Uh, Kansas City's all in with their team. Are they going to be making the trek to Nashville? Yeah, they are. And, you know, though, I, I will stick up for Titan fans because we, we've seen the same thing here in Kansas City the last two weeks. There was plenty of green and gold with the Packers two weeks ago. The purple really pops off the screen in contrast to the red at Arrowhead Stadium. And I, I think it's the reality. You know, I think we all kind of get caught in our own, you know, little world. We were always bragging about how many Chiefs fans are at all these places and how great we are. And now we're watching it happen in our own stadium. And I think it's the reality of the secondary ticket market. So many of those season tickets – are not bought by fans. They're bought by the secondary market that's just going to sell them to whoever they want. And all of our stadiums have plenty of uh, road fans because fans say, hey, I can take one great trip to Nashville, have a ball for a weekend, or I can buy ten games, two of which are preseasons that I don't want, and maybe two other stinkers. Man, I'll, I'll go all in on a great trip to Nashville. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody needs to feel ashamed for it because we're supposedly one of, if not the best fan base ever, and there was plenty of purple. The Chiefs players we're calling out the fans, Damian Williams, after the game about how much purple was in the stands. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I guess the Chargers would would weigh in on this conversation and said we have sixteen road games this year. So, <laughs> yeah, the Chargers. I all those comments apply to thirty one teams, not the Chargers. <laughs> I mean, every game you see, it's like anybody, the, whoever they're playing. I mean, that Green Bay game. I I was looking for a Chargers fan there in L A. Um, how did you yeah. think? I got to be honest. I, I said on this show, I was surprised. At how well? I mean, I just figured Kansas City would look just exactly like the Packers look when Rodgers goes down. If Russell Wilson goes down in Seattle, when Andrew Luck went down in Indianapolis, basically these teams fall apart. It's it's happening in Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger, and I figured, well, as long as Mahomes is out, I know they have other good players, but the Chiefs are going to fall apart. Well, they went to Denver and smoked the Broncos. They hung in there. I watched that game against Green Bay. They're back and forth. And they lose by a touchdown, and then they come up with a big win against Minnesota. 
I thought they looked really good without him. How did you feel? Yeah, and, you know, I'll go you a step further against the Packers. They were back and forth, and they had a critical fumble by LaShawn McCoy late um, that, that gave basically the Packers back-to-back. It was the first uh, it was first down after uh, the Packers scored, so they basically got back-to-back possessions, the second one point blank, and they also had kind of like a almost a, a 20-yard Hail Mary. I mean, Rodgers just threw it to the back of the end zone, and they were able to catch it. Uh, I think the Packers were the better team that day because of the injuries to the Chiefs, but you know, those two plays were, were monumental. That and, and Andy Reid not going for it on fourth down and punting away and never getting the ball. Those were the big talking points after that Packer game. And I, and I think, I think it's a, I'm with you. I think it's a great observation. And what I think it speaks to is I tell people this all the time, Andy Reid is the most underrated coach in the National Football League. Doesn't mean he's the best. Bill Belichick's better. Doesn't mean he's flawless. He has flaws. But for all the credit he gets, he doesn't get enough. Uh, because he is simply brilliant as an offensive mind. And you know, the Chiefs aren't just without their left tackle and, and some of these games, left guard and right guard, uh, without their number one pass rusher against the Packers. They didn't have their number one or two, both Frank Clark and Chris Jones out in that one. Didn't have their number one corner in four. They're not just banged up. It's not just a backup quarterback. I've had a lot of people say, well, you're backup quarterback. It's actually the third quarterback. Chad Henney uh, was the backup quarterback, and he broke his ankle in the last preseason game. And Matt Moore got called a week into this, a week before the season started. So he's literally only been around the Chiefs for ten weeks, and he's been able to play this way. And it's because of Andy Reid, his ability to scheme and play call. You know, I know a lot of the divisional towns. I'll go on with a lot more, and I say, you know what you're going to see today. You know, and this is even like four or five years ago. You're going to see twice Travis Kelsey, the only real legitimate offensive weapon back at that time, before Tyreek Hill was here, and and some of the other guys before Kareem Hunt was the uh, the running back. You're going to watch him run high school wide open at least twice in this game. He's the only guy you do not want to let beat you on this offense, yet he will be high school wide open twice in this game, and it's because Andy Reid is brilliant, and he will find an opportunity to get his playmakers just absolutely wide open. And now that he's got multiple weapons, uh, even with a Matt Moore, there's no doubt, they, they will be a better team with Patrick Mahomes. I think he plays uh, this week. He won't be as mobile for the rest of the year as he's been in the past, but He'll play, and with that cannon and that arm, there are differences. Matt Moore's late to throw the ball sometimes, which makes plays that if he sees it quicker, uh, you get him the ball quicker with more velocity that the guy can run after the catch, and there's not as much run after the catch with Matt Moore. But Andy Reid will just bail out any quarterback he has. There's a reason why he got second-round picks for Kevin Cobb and A.J. Feely and you know these guys that were just absolute rummy quarterbacks because people look at the tape and go, oh, this guy's great, when in reality Andy Reid's the guy who's great at uh, play scheme. Interesting. Seren Petro on the line with us. Sports Radio 810 there in Kansas City. Tyreek Hill is not just a burner. Right? We used to always talk about Mike Wallace. and like He's just a guy that runs down the field really fast, doesn't have good hands. He's a one-trick pony. Tyreek Hill is not that. And maybe there was a time at the beginning of his career I just thought, oh, here's a really, really dynamic, fast guy. But after watching him now, I realize this dude goes up and gets it. He's got great hands. I mean, he... He has turned into an elite receiver in the league. You see him day in and day out. What do you think? You know, there, there is a, a, an absolute burner. You know, the guy you described is on this roster, and it's McCole Hardman, the, the second-round pick from Georgia this year. You know, he played nine offensive snaps. People, you know, get excited because he ran a little shovel pass in from 30 yards out for a touchdown against the Vikings, and it was a big play. But really what, what he did was run in one straight line, turn right, and run in a straight line. That's a burner. And, you know, maybe he'll grow into more of a receiver, but they really kind of pick their spots on where they're going to use McCole Hardman. Uh, he's seen in the return game a lot. 
So you feel like he's out on the field a lot more, but he's really not. And that's, frankly, what Chiefs fans, uh, listen, forget about all the off-the-field stuff that, that came with him. But as a football player, people thought, boy, if we can get that out of him, what a great fifth-round draft pick. And, and you're right. He's grown to be a tremendous wide receiver. First of all, he's physically different than anybody else. You guys know from being in that locker room, the, the, the National Football League player is a different species, right? They are just physically different than your average Joe. But then you look at him, not by size, right? He's not 6'7 like Chris Jones or Tano Passanio, but by his body type, he is a freak amongst freaks. His hamstrings look like a flexed bicep. I mean, he is so stout and sturdy. His neck is amazingly thick. And, and there is zero fat. I mean, there is zero fat. If you go back and look at the video of him jumping into the stands after his touchdown last week, I think you can see one of the Chiefs fans who's patting him on the shoulder actually cop a feel of his shoulder. Like, the guy's <laughs> amazed at what he's feeling. He's just like, oh, my God, what is this? What, this, this is not human. I mean, he is amazing when it comes to the physicality of it, but he actually puts in the work. And with all the off-the-field stuff that's – been around him, what doesn't get talked about is how hard he has worked to become a receiver. You're talking about a guy that had a handful, maybe a year of, of you know, junior college football and a few snaps at Oklahoma State, mostly as a running back, that then went to the NFL and has made himself into a receiver in just a couple of years. And he is tremendous. He is a threat. His vertical is off the charts because he actually is not a great hand catcher. He body catches a lot. But he does a great job with his strong body of walling off defenders, going up, cradling the ball, and he can control his body in the air like no one else because he's so fast that when he gears down to control his body, he's still faster than the guys around him and can bring him in. So, you know, we debate who's the bigger threat, Kelsey or Hill. Hill's the one that the defensive coordinators worry about more because he can strike for that touchdown from anywhere on the field. Kelsey is an assassin on the inside. The reality is you have both, and it doesn't matter, and you can't double-team both. And you're going to have a hard day no matter what as long as both those guys are on the field. We're talking to Seren Petro. He hosts the program on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. And Seren, you know both teams will send out their media notes, and I always like to glance at those. And there's one stat that popped out at me that I have no explanation for, but for some reason it, it, this is the way it is. Andy Reid is 1-7 all-time against the Tennessee Titans, including 1-3 since he's been in Kansas City. I don't have an explanation for that, and I doubt you do either because I feel like Kansas City has always had better teams than the Titans, but for some reason, they just the Titans find a way to win against Kansas City. Yeah, my, my best guess would be it's just a statistical anomaly off too small a sample size, right? That's what I'd like to say. But, I, I listen, we'll never forget the game that kept the Chiefs. Andy Reid's been in five playoffs in six years and appears to be barreling towards his sixth and seven years. He's had six winning seasons. The one year he didn't make the playoffs, the second year, they were nine and seven, and they lost the opener to the Tennessee Titans in Ken Wisenhunt. We're like, wow, the Titans are going to be pretty good, and they ended up being terrible. <laughs> and you're just like, what's going on? Andy Reid's offseason is always better than his opposition's offseason. And that's the game that really jumps out at me, is like how at the time that Andy Reid is usually at his best did he get stung uh, by the Titans. And, you know, talent, there's different things that, that come into it. But overall, you know, I don't have a good explanation. I know this. I know in, in talking to Mike Vrabel, I had a chance to sit down with him one-on-one -on -one at the American Century Championships in Tahoe where he played. And, by the way, what a great guy. What a class act to represent your organization. I mean, listen, it's a win business, and if he doesn't win, he'll get fired. I, I understand that. Uh, he needs. You've got to have a quarterback. We're, we're seeing the difference of Andy Reid 
with a Hall of Fame quarterback. But as far as a class act to represent your organization, it doesn't get any better than Mike Vrabel. And, and listening to Coach Vrabel talk about you know, what it is about Andy Reid and just kind of the way he clearly held him in very high regard as both a human being but also just in his coaching, you know, I, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't get it. I know Andy was very complimentary of, of Mike Vrabel. He said he gets it, he does it right. You know, schematically he's tough to prepare for. You know, he talked uh, about all the things that he really likes, what Vrabel brings, but obviously he's had nothing to do with that uh, for most of that run. I don't know, there might be one game in there, maybe I'm forgetting, uh, where Coach Vrabel was the guy, but no, uh, I don't know. First I, I don't know. Maybe, listen, maybe it's the fans party too much in, in Nashville because I've been listening to uh, all my friends talk about they can't wait for their trip down to Nashville. Maybe that carries over to Coach Reed. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out for sure. Defensively, I think when, when people looked at the Kansas City Chiefs, they, you know, offense, that's their identity. And in defense, there were some question marks. What have you seen out of the progression of the defense as we've gone through half the season? You know, I, an amazing progression. You know, I, I, I tried to calm the masses down by saying, listen, don't even complain to me about the defense until we're done with the fifth game. Let's give them four games to try to figure out what Steve Spagnuolo's scheme is. And then after week five, we can start evaluating this team. And, and they were bad, uh, even after the fifth game. They, they were in really bad shape. It's really been uh, game seven, eight, nine, where it started to click. And that's actually been when they were the most most banged up. I mean, that's that's been one of their problems. Frank Clark being down, Chris Jones, Kendall Fuller uh, being out. That was a big problem uh, for them, yet they overcame it and played some of their best defense. And early on, that first game was against the Broncos. Okay, they're not good. And they had the whole you know aspect of watching Patrick Mahomes lay on the field, and you know, I think that energizes a team. Everybody rallies around the backup quarterback and plays at a high level. So you thought, well, this is just a bad team and a, and a night where everybody really brought it to that next level to, to make up for the fact that the star quarterback was down. But then they play the Packers, and while the Packers got to 30 points yardage-wise, it, it wasn't a horrible day. They didn't get crushed in the run game. Before that Bronco game, they'd given up 180 on the ground in four consecutive games. Now over the last three games, they've averaged giving up 98 yards on the ground. And I think schematically it all started to click. Colin Saunders, the third-round pick, got in a defensive tackle, and Derek Nottie, last year's second-round pick, the other defensive tackle really stepped up their game. Nottie was starting to get a lot of criticism. There were people asking why Saunders was even on the team, and I think that motivated them. They've really come around and given them some big, thick anchors uh, in the middle of the defense. And then from there, uh, it's fanned out. Spagnuolo's done a good job with his blitz scheme, so he'll bring a lot of different people. They kind of backed off that last week. You could tell that the Vikes were ready for blitzes everywhere, so he didn't blitz. He really just came with four. And, he, of course, he had Chris Jones back as well, which helped him get pressure without having to bring the blitz. So, now, I give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnuolo and really being able to figure out his talent, get everybody going. Chris Jones was out for a while, and he missed you know, all of the offseason because he was holding out looking for a new contract. So I think they're just starting to understand what Spagnuolo wants. Spagnuolo is starting to understand what they want. Uh, they're two safeties, getting Tyron Matthew and then the second rounder, Juan Thornhill, their other second round pick, uh, have been great. Thornhill's been amazing. He's one of the more underrated guys. He's going to be first-team all-rookie. He'll be in the conversation for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Nobody beats him deep. He's done a great job uh, against the tight ends. I'm going to tell you, he is significantly better in year one than Eric Berry was in year one. Eric Berry was beaten like a drum by tight ends on a regular basis in that first year, and Thornhill just doesn't get beat. So I think it started with that back secondary uh, and those safeties, and then now everybody's learning that Spagnuolo scheme. And now we're going to find out the Titans aren't 
you know, the, a Vikings team that, that's a big marquee team right now, that you say, okay, we've got to prove ourselves. Do they have a letdown before they go to Mexico and play the Chargers, an important divisional game, maybe even more important after tonight's game if the Chargers beat the Raiders? Uh, do they have a letdown against Tennessee and not bring it the way they have the last few weeks because they're starting to feel like they're pretty good? Well, well, that to me is the big question mark because they have found themselves in his scheme certainly over these last three weeks. Saran got about 45 seconds, but you you talk about Andy Reid and his work with quarterbacks. Hypothetically, would Marcus Mariota coming to Kansas City be a, a good fit for Marcus Mariota to, to go in what I call the Andy Reid quarterback rehabilitation program? 100%. I mean, I, I love the idea of him coming out uh, and coming to Kansas City. I, you know, I think the Chiefs you know, like that veteran guy, but I think they're at a point that they're either going to have a young guy or a reclamation project behind Patrick Mahomes moving forward. Henny will come off the books. Matt Morris on a one-year deal. And he's absolutely the kind of guy that I think you would see. And I think the Bears, I think Matt Nagy will be interested in him if they're going to punt uh, Trubisky. I know from uh, talking to Matt when he was here in Kansas City, you know, it, with Trubisky, he's tried to design the Alex Smith version of this offense, and Trubisky's now failing at that. You know, he propped him up last year. But I think the Alex Smith version, the safer throws, Use your legs. Let's have some escape patches against the rush for you to just run for some first downs and get to the next step of the playbook. Uh, I think would be absolutely perfect uh, for Marcus Mariota. So I, I think both these teams, this one and the Bears, depending upon what they do at quarterback, would be a great landing spot for him. Saran, appreciate it as always. It's going to be a, an interesting game on Sunday. The Titans uh, obviously cannot go into the bye week. Four and six on the season, so they they no, desperately I have the need. over on the Titans, so they absolutely cannot go with it. <laughs> win. Thanks for doing this as always. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Seren Petro there in Kansas City Sports Radio, eight ten. We'll come back and discuss a little bit more about this matchup on the other side. ESPN one hundred two five. The game. What do you guys, as coaches, want the identity of the offense to be? Well, we want to be sound. We want to be physical. We want to be. Um, obviously effective we want to be able to take advantage of um, teams mistakes I think sometimes I I talk to the team as much as I can about being a football team that takes advantage of you know mistakes that they make in the run game and in the pass game if they're you know a gap short that we have to take advantage of it if they're you know voiding a zone in the passing game we have to be smart enough they uncover somebody you know we have to be good enough and effective enough to take advantage of that uh, I, I want to play with an urgency. I think that we have to you know, play with a sense of urgency and, and dictate the tempo. And you know, we have to continue to try to be more consistent uh, with, with, when doing those things because I think there's evidence of a lot of those things. Um, I think a smart football team, a smart offense, um, a fundamentally sound offense, and you know, when you aren't some of those, that's when you um, – create those longer yardage situations and that get back on track a little post malone bring us back there max all right back here on darren donick and chase on this rainy thursday hope everybody's having a good start to your day so we played you a little bit of mike vrabel yesterday actually a, a lot of mike vrabel yesterday getting ready for this matchup and the question, which was a good one, because we've certainly discussed it on this show, is in fact, Monday we were really discussing it, right? When Teron yeah. Davenport was in here. Well, what is the identity of the Titans? Like it, we say the Chiefs, you you know their identity. Yeah. You say Chargers, we know their. Look, look at the opponents 
Bucks, Chargers, Panthers, Chiefs. You know. You know offensively what their identity is. True? This, yeah. Absolutely. This team I mean, we talked you about don't. it. So when we say Titans offensive identity identity, what is it? So before I say anything, and I told you I didn't want to talk to you about this subject during the break and when we were talking about it before the show. So I because I don't want to skew anything. I, yeah. I wanted you just to hear it again, because we heard it yesterday. But hear it again. Because unfortunately, I think we had to go into I think uh, either C Mace or Hasselback afterwards, so we didn't really get yeah. to discuss the press conference. What when you heard his answer? What what did you think? I thought it was interesting how he when he when he said we want to be effective, how he emphasized that word effective that that we want to be effective on offense because quite frankly they really haven't. I mean it's it's been rare. He used sense of urgency that they want to have have that and there are times where you don't see that and and I think it's gotten a little better with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback he said they want to be consistent obviously we've talked all year about how they've been inconsistent and that they wanted to be smart and there's been some decisions that I think have been made that that you you question whether it's from Vrabel or from Arthur Smith the bottom line that that I took away from that is I don't think he knows either well, you just finally you it took you a while and that's fine. That's good. You went through the steps. I wanted to break it down, but I don't think he knows to, what their identity I, is either. I, did that answer anything? No. I mean, I, w- coach, what what is the identity of your offense? Want to be a sound football team. Okay. Uh, okay. Want to be a physical yep. football team. Okay. Coach speak. Want to be effective. Mhm. Okay. Want to take advantage of mistakes. Okay. Okay. Want to play with urgency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Want to be consistent. Right. Sure. So we did the same Wanna thing. Want to be <laughs> smart. Want to be smart. Right. Oh, great. That's that's good plan. Want to be fundamentally sound. Okay. okay. The problem that I have is not all those are absolutely correct. But it's kind of going back to... Mike, why did you go for it in that position? Or why didn't you kick a field goal? Or why didn't you punt? Or why did you do a fake punt with your kick? When asked all the the questions of where we were all left scratching our head, well, I believe in my team. Okay. Okay. That's great. I trust trust my players. Why do you believe in your team? Okay. Great. We wanted to win the game. Okay. Fantastic. Those are all – that's good answers. But but we're, here's where I, here's my takeaway though, on all these answers, everything I just read yep. to that question and to those right because that's how he tends to answer them. Mm-hmm. I trust my team. One, we wanted to win the football game. What what is setting you apart from anybody else? You do you think any other head coach or offensive coordinator in this case with this question doesn't feel the same exact way? The question was, what is your identity? Well, we want to play sound football. Okay. We want to be physical. Oh, so you yeah. guys want to be physical. Want to be effective. Oh, okay. So you guys want to be effective. You want to take advantage of mistakes. Oh, okay. So only you guys want to take advantage of mistakes. Play with urgency. Okay. Consistent. Once again. Oh, so you're the only ones playing. You want to be consistent. Only you guys. Play smart. Fundamentally sound. Is is there any other head coach in the league that doesn't want that right. for either side of the ball? I mean, 
tell us something that's not obvious. I mean, which he's to me, probably not like, going to do. Thank you, Mr. Obvious. And what I'm getting at is, in all seriousness, now it's probably what you just threw out there because that's the first thing I thought of. He doesn't know the answer. Right. He doesn't have an answer. There's because not because we don't have an answer. Anybody watching the product doesn't have an answer. What what is your identity? And of course, whenever you come off a game where a team was ranked twenty seventh in the league, and oh by the way, Kansas City's worse against the run. They're worse than Carolina. Now my no. guess is after getting all this discussion piece out there all week that they'll probably do just the opposite. My guess is if you have Derrick Henry on your fantasy football team, you might want to get him in there in the starting lineup because they'll probably go just the opposite way, and you will see Derrick Henry probably with 16 carries in the first half. I wouldn't be surprised by that. And that's the problem because they're so inconsistent in doing that because they can't decide do we want to be a run-first team or a pass-first team or you know rely on Derrick Henry or Deion Lewis passes out of the backfield. They can't figure out what they want to be. So, yeah, I don't think he has an answer because he doesn't know. If they were sitting at 6-3 and three right now and he's, he gives that answer, you go, okay, he's coach speak, whatever. The offense looks pretty good. Nothing to see here. But also you wouldn't necessarily be asking that question because you know. Right. The if fact you're 6-3 and three and everything looks good, that question yeah. doesn't get asked. But we don't know. We can't figure it out. We sat here with Teron on Monday trying to figure out what the identity of this – team overall but especially the offense because if you say the identity of the team overall go all right pretty good defense big questions on offense that's that's what i that's how i would answer it but i think vrabel just doesn't know he doesn't have an answer because it changes from week to week it's so inconsistent the play calling's inconsistent the play of of the individual players is inconsistent so you can't give a definitive answer, so and wanna, that's the problem. I want us to talk about something Tim Hasselbeck said yesterday about Corey Davis when I asked him at mm-hmm. the end, because that goes to a little bit of what we're talking about, I think. We'll discuss that to wrap up the first hour. By the way, Keith Bullock to kick off the second hour. Keith Bullock will join us at 11 o'clock. More of Darren, Donnick and Chase next. Hey, don't forget, we'll have four and a half hours of pregame coverage leading up to Titans-Chiefs. Sunday at noon. All the coverage here begins at 7 o'clock, 7 to 9.30. You get your morning with a kickoff, okay? That's two and a half hours of it. Then things will shift to downtown, George Jones downtown, to be exact, on 2nd Avenue, where Jared and Floyd Reese and Forever Titan Chris Sanders, who will join us at high noon for silly underdog picks. He is the current leader. That will be from 9.30 until 11.30. So this uh, four and a half hours of coverage our pregame coverage on Sunday brought to you by Wholesale Link, powered by RumbleOn.com, Kubota Tractors, Middle Tennessee Kubota Dealers, and Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House. So I asked you going into the break about Tim Hasselbeck because we were talking about the offensive identity of the mm-hmm. Titans, which was asked to Mike Vrabel yesterday. We played his answer, which I think all 32 head coaches in the league would probably, give that answer. probably think the same way. That's what they want to be. But I think it was was looking for a little bit more specifics. I, and as I told you in the break, and I'll say it, I'll say it on air. I would respect him more if he just got up there and said, "You know what? We're still trying to figure that out. We're three games into a quarterback change. Things have been very up and down, even in wins. I mean, we're we're showing inconsistency. So I think we're still trying to establish what our identity is on offense. If he had said that, I would have been like, Mike. 
Thank you. Good job. That's a great answer. Shuffling of the offensive line, some yeah. injuries. So we're still trying to work through some things, to your point. I agree. I mean, I, I just think getting up there and, and listing everything that every coach in the league is trying to do is just completely skirting the issue and just telling us the most obvious that there is. I mean, it's just like yeah, going back to what we said before. Speak. You know, we're trying to win the game. Well, duh. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought everybody in the league was trying to win. Yeah. The, I hope everybody in the league is trying to win a game. You would think, and I would hope that every head coach trusts his team. Right. I hope. That's usually how it works. But I did ask Tim Hasselback yesterday, kind of on the way out, who of course joins us every Wednesday at noon, about Corey Davis and just what he thought, because here we sit in year three and it looks a whole lot of the same. And so I just wanted to get his perspective, and here's what he had to say about Corey Davis. What are you seeing yeah, out of Corey Davis? Production out, you need a production out of that high of a draft pick. Here's what I would say. I think it's been too hard to evaluate him, and it's like it's like it's probably nauseating to hear that, considering I think people have been saying that about Marcus for so long. The I can remember Roddy White. Remember him for the Atlanta Falcons? Absolutely. Remember him being like, eh, you know, he's just okay. He's not very good. He's just he's all right. And Michael Vick was his quarterback. And it was like, well, you know, he drops some balls and he's not catching a lot of passes. And all of a sudden Matt Ryan comes in and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Roddy White, like he's a he's a number one wide receiver. And you know, I think the scheme changed, I think the quarterback changed and there was a lot of production. I, I the thing I would ask you, if Corey Davis played for the Seahawks, do you think that he would be the, the number one there because I kind of think he would. Yeah, probably. I guess the question is how different would it look? So that was just a little bit because he went yeah. in more in depth. And I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because doesn't that fall into the same category of what we're talking about? So they don't really have an identity. And, of course, part of that is you've got a guy that you drafted fifth overall in the draft, the mm -hmm. first receiver taken in the draft. And we're sitting here near three asking the same questions that we've asked about Mariota and others, where it's like, what are they? What is he? You see glimpses. And you have and then you a have similar excuse for him, of, too. Right. And you've got exactly. He's had, so th he's had three he? coordinators in three years. So what is he? They don't know. They haven't been able to figure it out. So is he going to end up just like everybody else? Probably. Doesn't work out here? At this point, Probably. Because A.J. Brown, that's a second-round pick that, that is a rookie, is showing me more in nine games than – and I'm not going to say that I've seen in Corey Davis' entire career, but I'm seeing a lot more of an upside with A.J. Brown. Now, that's not to say that if you get this offense clicking, you get consistent quarterback play, that Corey Davis can't be more than he is, but I don't think he's ever going to live up to being the fifth overall pick. Here's the thing, though. How many guys have left here where you say it just wasn't working here, but it would look so different somewhere else? How many of those guys can you name? Give me some of those examples of the guys that left here, and it's like everybody thought the same thing. Like, eh, eh. And then they go somewhere else, and it's like, whoa. No, I can't. Not really. Could you have said that about Kendall Wright? Oh, first round nope. pick. Always with Ken, wasn't nope. it? Like, just the, come on. And Warm then he goes somewhere nope. else. Kendall Wright, just like here, had a couple moments. Chicago. But overall, total bust, first round pick. I mean, I shouldn't say a total bust, but he didn't live up. He didn't live up to. 
He didn't live yeah, up to and, a first and round. I, and I think, look, I think what's hard is Kenny Britt. All these guys, they they went on. and They did basically the Kenny same Britt thing had here, a but none of them, career, none yeah. of them exploded. None, no. none of them left here and went. I think honestly, the probably the best example, kinda not really. Because I got to know him really well, and I really liked him. But honestly, his body of work is kind of like what it was here. It's Jared Cook. Yeah. But he's had some big moments on big stages and some big he catches. Has, and he's lasted. He's he has. He's lasted. Well, he's a freak. He's very athletic. Yeah. He, but Jared Cook is another one. He's not consistent. He, he has this patch of three or four games. The whole, whole league is talking about him, and then he goes away for a month. Right. Or five weeks. The problem with Corey Davis is I, I think Corey Davis has talent. And and has been a pretty good receiver with this team you, through everything, through all the inconsistencies, through coordinator coaching changes, quarterback changes. The problem is you just you're always going to attach. Well, he was the fifth overall pick, which that's what we do. You you use the draft where you're drafted as the gauge to how your career goes. He's just not going to live up to that. Now, could he have a good career, whether it's here or somewhere else, or you know, combination of the two? Sure. I think he's going to last in the league. He's just never going to live up to that fifth overall moniker. He's just not going to. Well, I because I Tim was basically painting the picture. Like I feel like if he went somewhere else, it would look totally different. And I don't think I necessarily disagree. But what I'm trying to find out is all the examples of the people that did leave here and got opportunities in better systems. And you know what? It really didn't look any different. So yeah. what does that mean? It means this organization didn't make a very good pick. It wasn't it wasn't a good pick. Or they don't know how to develop. Well, yeah, but they didn't develop that's my point. They didn't develop somewhere else either. Like how many guys have but gone off the reservation and and all of a sudden just turned into, you know, what everybody thought coming out of the draft? Like, whoa, okay, now I see it. You're right, but there also comes a point where if if a guy's been playing for three or four years, I mean he you're done at that. I mean, he is what he is. You're not going to just change. You've been playing a certain way, so even if you go to another team, I don't think it's going to magically that's fix it. Where I f- that's why I brought up Corey Davis, right? Because I yeah. just feel like sitting here, the midway point, just past the midway point of his third season, it's like, okay, has anything really changed? Is this kind of what he is? He's going to be good for about, I don't know, playing the range game, 50 to 65 catches yeah. a year? Is that is that what he is? I don't know. Which you know, I, and I'm gonna which attach, isn't a bat, which isn't a horrible thing. But whenever you're the fifth overall pick, it's going back to sure. what you said you can't. I mean, that's it's not good because if you're a third or fourth round pick, then you live with that. And you're like, okay, that was a good pick. You yeah. get 50, 65 catches a year out of that guy, like fourth a, round or whatever. Okay, AJ Brown doesn't have as much pressure on him because he's a second round pick. So I mean, you take you take something off of that, and he's overachieving. But one thing that I will say as we wrap this up before we get to Keith Bullock. As I go back to to something Alan Bell brought up, Arthur Smith got the job as OC because he was familiar with everybody, and that really hasn't panned out. And now you're going to have the the guy that he was the most familiar with is going to leave, the quarterback, Mariota. So I kind of wonder if uh, maybe that wasn't the right choice now. We will come back and kick off the second hour with Keith Bullock. We do that next on Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025 The Game.